Think Again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio. 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us. Like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to Think Again, a program presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organization working for social change for 26 years. We are broadcasting from the 3CR studio on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. Today we're looking at how Ukraine's doing as we really haven't heard from that place for a while. Listeners may be wondering whether peace has broken out in Ukraine or whether Putin, having just been in, being interviewed by sacked Fox News star Tucker Carlson, has suddenly become a friend of the US or of Biden. So we decided to have a look, another look, at that much talked about but suddenly forgotten conflict. Indeed, the international news... The space is now being fully filled with news about Israel's genocidal war against Gaza. Understandably. Yeah, so people may actually wonder about the sudden silence about Ukraine. Mm. Briefly, they're still fighting in Ukraine. And we want to dedicate this program to an overview of that conflict and give an update as to where it's at. And to sort of summarize what the peace movement of which we declare be part is momentarily up against globally. So let's start with a more general reflection about the political world situation in general and what looks like a rapidly accelerating descent into an explosive and uncontainable conflict. In summary, NATO, with millions of soldiers and billions worth of military hardware and software, surrounds Russia in Western and Central Europe. Yeah, in addition to massive amounts of US, UK and French military hardware and software spread around Northern Africa, the Middle East and into Western parts of Southern Asia like Pakistan. With hundreds of US, UK, Australian and allied military bases surrounding China and controlling whatever goes on in the Indian and Pacific Oceans, while the US also maintains its grip over the rest of the Americas and via the Atlantic Ocean and aided and abetted by former colonial powers over the whole of Africa from the West. Yeah, which, which is a lot and, and really briefly describes the situation of US and Western worldwide military dominance and stranglehold. Yeah, just for a second. Let's wonder whether that's the best we can do in maintaining world peace. Or is it just about maintaining our Western Anglosphere monopolar control over the rest of the world, rather than seriously considering the possibility of a multipolar arrangement? Mm. For example, an arrangement managed by the Forceful United Nations system or a forceful United Nations system, I should say. And we talked about last week and in several previous programs about the United Nations. Yeah, we have. Uh, and we've talked about a United Nations system that can help us 
really deal with all the global challenges, uh, not least an exhausted Mother Earth, mm -hmm. um, as well as massive glo global poverty, widespread displacement, um, um, largely because of ecological reasons mm -hmm. as well as war and, and both, <laughs> and also oppression. So just to name a few things, a few of the challenges that mm -hmm. we need such a body for. That's right, and which, which was what it was set up for. Mm -hmm. That briefly sort of summarized context remains the philosophical and political peace-based global undertow of what we do at Think Again and at Borderlands as we go back to wondering about what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah, so Ukraine. We've talked about the situation in Ukraine several times a while ago, particularly in the first few months of 2022. Argu and we argued that the war just didn't start with Russia's invasion, as we're told. We need to go back to at least 2014 with the West's interference helping undermine a democratically elected government in Ukraine and after that fermenting internal conflict with Russian-speaking communities in the east of Ukraine. And uh, we, we could go back even further uh, looking at Western interference, um, following the fall of the USSR and the broken promises by NATO not to expand its membership up to the Russian border or towards the Russian border. Exactly. Benjamin Abelo talks about this in his book, How the West Brought War to Ukraine. Which is a great title. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> How yeah. the West Brought War to Ukraine. That's right. And yeah, we'll put that in the, uh, on the website, basically, mm -hmm. the reference to it. He describes how, according to mainstream Western narratives, and I quote, Vladimir Putin is an insatiable Hitler-like expansionist who invaded Ukraine in an unprovoked land grab. That story is incorrect. In reality, the US and NATO bear much of the responsibility for the Ukraine crisis. Through a series of misguided policies, Washington, and its European allies placed Russia in an untenable situation for which war seemed to Mr. Putin and his military staff the only workable solution. End of quote. It's not that we particularly like Vladimir. Yeah, to say the least. <laughs> yes. But as we have already explained in several of our earlier programs, notably in February, April and May 2022, the West needlessly stirred up conflict, subjecting its own citizens and the rest of the world to a heightened risk of nuclear war. This was instigated especially by the US, increasingly aided and abetted by the European Union, NATO and, rather strangely, by <laughs> Australia. Which is strange. Why do we jump into these things? Mm -hmm. So, uh, Jeffrey Sachs from Columbia University, he laid out how this happened in a recent article titled, another great title, The US Plan to Kill More Ukrainians. <laughs> so, you get, they, they're getting blunter. Um, so, to recap, okay, and drawing from, in part from his uh, article, Ukraine was part of the USSR till the end of the 1980s. In 1990... U.S. President George H.W. Bush Sr. and his German counterpart, Chancellor Helmut Kohl, promised Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev, 
uh, Gorbachev's, mm. that NATO would not expand eastward if the Soviet Union accepted German reunification. And that's with NATO uh, standing for, of course, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is a military alliance of currently 31 member states, 29 European and two North American. And it was set up after World War II as a bulwark against USSR-aligned states, and, and that says the West was already hmm. starting to worry about expansion of communism. And it also makes you wonder why Australia should be part of something of uh, the Atlantic, the North Atlantic. North Atlantic, <laughs> well, even geographically incorrect, Shark. That's right. Maybe they don't know. <laughs> but um, anyway, this deal, not to expand NATO membership um, up to the Russia, mm-hmm. what's now Russia, was never kept. And NATO membership was expanded. It was expanded substantially, and we've talked about that in past programs. In the 90s, advances were made to recruit recently former USSR republics. And in 2008, US President George W. Bush... The younger. Mm, The the, younger The younger. George Mm. the younger. Thank you, Jacques. (laughs) George W. Bush the younger declared without consultation that Ukraine could become a NATO member. Putin was clear then, and up to this day, that was a red line not to be crossed. And and I should say, it wasn't just Putin. We don't need to just pick up, you know, pick out the one evil ruler. It wasn't just Putin. This was the consensus of the whole Russian leadership. Then in 2009, the people of Ukraine elected Viktor Yanukovych. Thank you. (laughs) Yanukovych, yes. Mm, Yanukovych, yep. Viktor Yanukovych Mm -hmm. as a president uh, in 2009 who ran on a platform of neutrality rather than NATO membership, which would align them with the West. So NATO membership was seen to be going against the Mm. idea of neutrality. That's right. Being a neutral state. But then, um, so of course the US didn't like that. They didn't want uh, Ukraine to be neutral. And um, in 2014, the US helped bring down President Yanukovych (laughs) in a coup. (laughs) As Jeffrey Sachs describes, the US brought thought that President Yanukovych, that his overthrow would quickly usher in NATO expansion. Instead, ethnic Russians in Ukraine violently rejected the the Russophobic post-coup government and called for autonomy of the ethnically Russian regions. And in a referendum, Crimea, which is in the south of of, uh, both Russia and Ukraine, Crimea voted overwhelmingly to join Russia. Obama, Biden and their team in the US armed the post-coup government to attack the ethnically Russian regions, thinking this would be the end of it. Yet the regions resisted. Thus, internal conflicts were stirred up by the US as far-right militia started massacres amongst the Russian communities in the east and in the east of Ukraine, leading to armed resistance by Russian-speaking people in living in that area, initially without Russia's support. And the results of that are well known. 
Russia annexed the Crim, Crimea and later Donbass, the eastern part of the of the uh, of Ukraine, which has a majority of Russian uh, people living there and Russian-speaking people. It asked for the confirmation of the 2021 Minsk Agreement, guaranteeing that Ukraine would not become a NATO member, that the US, Europe and Russia would guarantee security, and that Russian minorities in Ukraine would maintain or could maintain their cultural and social rights. The NATO response to all of that was no. On all, uh, to all of it. So mm -hmm. no peace deal. That's right. No, t no peace deal. And then, as we know, Russia invaded Ukraine in February 2022, occupying part of the Donbass, where an internal revolt against the Ukrainian government was already occurring. After a month, a peace proposal was submitted and Boris Johnson was delegated by the US, which is strange, really. Mm. Why is mm. the US delegating mm. the Prime Minister of UK? <laughs> but anyway, Boris Johnson was delegated by the US to essentially reject peace and tell President Zelensky that he would lose Western support if he agreed to peace, if he agreed to the peace deal. That's right. So the war became essentially a war of the West against Russia. Mm, and here we are, here we are, a mess long in the making by the US and allies, uh, apparently more interested in picking a fight and winning a war with Russia than actually maintaining international peace and justice and order, um, or, or, or even democracy for that matter, mm. when you think of it, seeing that they helped overthrow a democratically elected president in Ukraine. Which also is the time where the, 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 the phrase of, uh, uh, what's it called again, rules-based international order came from and was l used way too often till yeah. today, basically. So to let it sink a little bit in, let's have a listen to Say Peace by Blue King Brown. <laughs>
You're listening to Think Again on 3CR Radio, 855am on your dial, and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about Ukraine again, although this seems to have gone a little bit out of fashion. While our we own, don't mind that too, <laughs> that's right. While our own media seems to have largely forgotten about Ukraine and the predicament that Western powers dropped them in, we cast our eyes abroad as usual. There was an interesting article in the daily Belgian news service which I subscribe to, the the World Morgen by Lode van Oost, which is titled "Ukraine is at the edge of the cliff." And NATO watches in agreement. Another great title, Jacques. Mm, Ukraine is at the edge of the cliff and NATO watches in agreement. Svanos describes how, and I quote, a genocide is playing out live on our screens. Supporters of that genocide are the same ones who pretend defending Ukraine against genocide, but who concretely do everything in their power to drive ever more Ukrainians into death. And the disinformation in our mainstream press about this issue is irresponsibly one-sided. And it could all have been prevented. End of quote. Mm, It's pretty damning. So... Mm. Meanwhile, Ukraine President Zelensky recently sent out a desperate message that his country urgently needs about $60 billion worth of military hardware. That's $60 billion worth of military hardware, in addition to the billions already received. Without that injection, um, apparently, total defeat threatens. And much of those billions really never reaches the financial coffers of Ukraine anyway, because nothing of the rather large financial support, the, and support I have put here in, in brackets, <laughs> the uh, US, UK and Germany, the three largest supporters so far, never leaves those countries' coffers as they send weaponry from bullets and projectiles to tanks and soon probably planes from their existing reserves, after which they will refill their own reserves with new weaponry for which they will pay their respective military-industrial capitalist complexes, who then make a shitload of profit from this sale. Ukraine has had problems with corruption ever since its independence from the USSR in 1991 and probably before. Mm. Zelensky has been trying to clean up the the corrupt image by sacking and replacing several officials and military, also because about 30% of the previously delivered weaponry just disappeared via the black market. Many of the spectacular sackings and the discoveries of such corruption corruption are just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, and um, it's it's a, a damning, terrible situation. And a big fallacy is that the provision of all that weaponry actually helps Ukraine win the war. Mm. I mean, the message coming across all the time on <laughs> when it whenever it's raised is, oh, you know, if we send this weaponry. Ukraine will win the war. Mm. Yeah. So Russia is obviously much strong. So just think, Russia is obviously much stronger than Ukraine in economic terms, in population size, and, and in terms of its own weapons industry. Ukraine's own industry as a whole has been decimated. 
especially its weapons industry, which was mostly located in the Russian-speaking of the nation now occupied by Russia. And like, in, um, and like in the US, Russians' human warfare reserves are vastly larger than Ukraine's. Um, they're recruiting soldiers from the poorest sections of the population and far away from the front line. As always happens, really, also yeah. in the US. Yeah. So, so in such a war of um, what's called a war of attrition, really, the country with the greatest resources and reserves wins. And this is obviously Russia in this case. And also remember that Ukraine does not have the potential to refill its military manpower or person power. Ten million Ukrainians have fled the country, partly also because many don't want to serve in the army. The police are now arresting young men, especially poor and unemployed ones, in the streets to join the army, whilst the children of the oligarchs in uh, Ukraine are very, very publicly playing their games in Paris and Miami. Mm. Inside of Ukraine, a variety of allegiances and alliances coexist. The Ukrainians still living in the Donbass area in the east keep relatively quiet. The major landmass of Ukraine is occupied, occupied by ethnic Ukrainians who don't want the Russians. And Russia is not really interested in and is incapable really of occupying such a large landmass. And it already made the mistake in its previous strategies of underestimating the Ukrainian army. And so it concentrates on the Donbass, on the eastern region only. Yeah. And, and then, of course, in 2023 uh, came the much-hyped spring offensive of the Ukrainian army. Uh, from the beginning, the badly armed Ukrainian army was clearly unable to start an attacking type of warfare against Russia's long-stretched conflict line. And, and as we said, they're running out of people and weaponry. While the US and the West are losing interest in all of this, yeah. as they return to what they consider their real enemies, China and Iran, especially aided and abetted by the mainstream media. Yeah, um, not much dissent there. No. And while the US and the West are... Um, uh, um, sorry, so the US and the West are losing interest, turning their eyes to Gaza, mm -hmm. as we've seen. So with um, Hamas presenting to the US as a proxy for Iran another proxy mm -hmm. <laughs> in, in the current Gaza ca catastrophe where the US and allies now turn their eyes, as I said, and another mess with US fingers in it, as we've been talking about mm. lately. Mm. Yeah, indeed. And no wonder that Van Oost, the Belgian uh, reporter in the, in the world, uh, uh, the world Morgen, he concludes his article highlighting that Ukraine is bleeding to death. The army's head let the world know that even with the $60 billion of new weaponry, the war could not be won, and that it was at a stalemate. And he was promptly sacked. Mm. The, the asked-for weaponry, old and often not reaching the war theatres, needs to be fired and used by soldiers, which the country doesn't have anymore. And the Western weapons producers will not give away their newer stuff for free. And whilst the Western media still run their lines against Russia and Putin, there are almost no journalists left in the country, especially as Gaza has replaced Ukraine as the centre of attention, as Jen just mentioned. 
To quote Van Oost, geopolitical power hunger is more important than the lives of millions of Ukrainians. History will condemn the operatives of this humanitarian scandal. End of quote. Mm. Yeah, and, and Jeffrey Sachs comes to pretty much the same conclusion, really. Uh, to quote, President Joe Biden is refusing to fold a losing hand as he bets with Ukrainian lives and US taxpayer money. Biden and Democratic Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer proposed to squander the lives of tens of thousands more Ukrainians and 61 billions of federal funds to keep Biden's disastrous foreign policy failure hidden from view until after the November election. The $61 billion will make no difference on the battlefield except to prolong the war, tens of thousands of deaths and physical destruction of Ukraine. It will not save Ukraine. Ukraine's security can only be achieved at the negotiating table, not by some fantasized military triumph over Russia. Unquote. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and he, he con um, Jeffrey Sachs, he concludes similarly to Van Oost, quote, there remains one answer for Ukraine's security, diplomacy and neutrality. That solution doesn't cost lives or money. It was Ukraine's choice before the 2014 coup and again in 2022 until stopped by Biden. It is the path that Biden and the Senate Democrats still refuse to take. Unquote. So that leaves us to wonder, why not? And to return to our reflections, we started this program with what will it take to change the global perspectives of the West, and especially of the US, and change its own understanding of its presence in the world, a world which ecologically cannot afford to add military emissions to the global warming already threatening to destroy Mother Earth and many species, including our own. A world which could profitably redirect the resources it spends on killing adventures to prevent poverty and assist the disadvantaged. Yeah, and, and have a fairer distribution of the world's goods. Yeah, and a world which could figure out what to do and how to be when in peace. And now, wouldn't that be great? Mm. Mm. As we are now uh, in... And that's what we work towards. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> As we are now in a subscribing kind of a couple of weeks uh, for 3CR, call the station on 03 Seven seven, or drop in during office hours, Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., or go to the website, www.3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Yeah, and if, if you'd like to hear alternative views in the media, please support us, it's important. And there are fantastic and diverse programs on 3CR. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio. If you want to send us any comments about today's program, you can email Borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. And as always, our past programs are available by podcast on a variety of platforms and via the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. 
Meanwhile, please enjoy Melkumana by King Stingray. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.